Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mouse Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? Today, we are going to be getting into the Mavericks 129-125 to overtime victory versus the Brooklyn Nets. Luka Doncic posted 41 points, 11 rebounds, and 14 assists on 14 of 28 shooting. He had quite the spectacular game uh, in a sort of sense. This was a battle of the stars. Kyrie Irving had 39, Kevin Durant had 37, and it almost seemed as if the Nets were even like holding back Kevin Durant's minutes at times. You know, the Nets were on a second night of a back-to-back. The Mavericks are now two and two. The Nets are one and four. I think there are a lot of narratives that we can look at throughout this game, particularly regarding how reliant the Mavericks were on their three-point shooting tonight. This was not a perfect game by any sense of the imagination, um, by the Mavericks. Sure, they were able to pull out a decisive overtime victory and win by four. Very high-scoring affair, but there are definitely some defensive question marks, some question marks regarding the second unit, unit and I guess Spencer Dinwiddie in terms of how he's le- leading the charge there. Some questions about Jason Kidd and his rotations that continue to persist after four games. And some questions um, just regarding the Mavericks inability to win games if their three point shooting isn't hitting. So we will be getting all into that. But before we do that, here's an ad from our sponsor anchor. All right, Jaron. So getting into it, what were your main takeaways um, from this one specifically, I guess if we're starting from the top, you know, the Mavericks in the first quarter, um honestly looked a little bit rattled at times yeah but it was just kind of back and forth in the first half what were your thoughts on the first half in general yeah no uh it was definitely a more back and forth affair between these two teams uh we saw brooklyn get off to a hot start really early in the game and then the mavericks bounced back and retook re uh retook the lead um and they kind of held it there for a second and then brooklyn coming back and forth uh, and I won't lie, whenever Ben Simmons, I, I'd kind of been, I had kind of told myself, I was like, if there's Ben Sim, if there's a Ben Simmons coming out game, it would be tonight. Uh, it wasn't really tonight, but whenever he made that first shot, I thought it would be. Um, and yeah, I mean, just kind of the game trend was kind of a back and forth affair. You know, the Mavericks couldn't really get anything going offensively other than Luka Doncic going. Uh, they got they got to the foul line of really really frequently, and that's kind of what saved the Mavs in that first half because it, it could it should have been honestly out of hand, um, and really throughout the whole game, this game shouldn't have been a game for that matter. Um, but I really like the rate that the Mavericks got at the free throw line. Josh Green, um, his first half, really his whole game performance was amazing. I just had to point that out. Um, we'll get more into him later. Yeah, 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 I just had to, yeah, I had to say that. But um, yeah, no, I, 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 I didn't. Other than defense, I know Javale kind of started slow the first minute, two minutes there, and then kind of picked it up. Um, and he kind of fizzled out through there. But 
JaVale didn't play terrible tonight. Uh, much better performance than we saw Tuesday night versus the Pelicans. And then pretty much down the line, like I thought Luka Doncic, he played a perfect game all night long other than some stupid turnovers, which I think we can have a whole segment there. Um, but yeah, like I honestly, it, it was kind of like two teams that were still figuring out the season, which it really was. Uh, and yeah, it was a back and forth affair for that first half. No, yeah, most definitely. Um, I thought the first half, like a big, you know, symbolic thing of the first half, you know, between both of the teams was just, it was, it seemed like it just a game of trading buckets for the most part. There were a lot of missed rotations by the Mavericks. They were yes. not getting out to shooters fast. They were allowing guys like David Duke, um, even, you know, Utah, Watanabe, guys for the Nets that, you know, typically, I guess you wouldn't even really look at as good three-point shooters to get open looks and to be able, be able to attack off closeouts. There were a lot of lazy closeouts by the Mavericks. Exactly. Yeah. That I yeah. thought got um, – that I thought ended up becoming sacrificial and the Nets were able to penetrate and kick and get good three-point looks off of that. And the Nets don't even have their full array of shooters right now. They're missing literally their best two, two shooters and – Seth Curry and Joe Harris, who were both out via injury in this game. Um, but, you know, barring that, I you know, I don't think outside of the first half, the non-stars of the Nets really hurt the Mavericks too much. I mean, Royce O'Neal had a few decent plays in terms of yeah, yeah. shots he made, but in the end of the night, he went four for 11, two for eight on threes. You know, the bulk of the Mavericks' woes came at the hands of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Uh, one of those guys, I mean, both of those guys, to an extent, you can't really do too much about, specifically uh, Kevin Durant. Yeah, you, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't obviously get to watch a lot of Nets games, but just the Durant's ability to come off of pin downs and just get to that like mid elbow area and just pull up every single time. There's nothing you could do about it. I yeah, honestly, it doesn't matter who's in his face. Yeah. And Dorian was guarding KD most of the game. And I honestly thought he played really well on him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there was just like nothing he could do at points. And I honestly thought the next nets were kind of saving KD at times in that first half. Like he didn't really look like he was getting a whole lot of run up until the fourth quarter, but they kind of ran him. He played basically the whole back half of the fourth quarter and overtime. So it kind of ended up evening out and the nets were on a second night of a back-to-back, but I mean, I don't know, main takeaways. Um, if we're like just looking at the whole game, the nets really don't have, any like good defenders their wing depth especially with like joe harris out for instance is like really slim i mean royce o'neill it's a good three and d player but you know ben simmons is a really good defensive player of course but at times tonight luca was obviously i mean albeit he was in foul trouble but luca was kind of schooling him in isolation until that uh late steal he had in the fourth quarter and i think that the mavericks really benefited off the nets lack of perimeter defense in this game you know because you know you look outside of Kevin Durant Royce O'Neal and Ben Simmons and I mean obviously Claxton's a really good weak side paint protector but I mean a lot of Kevin Durant is more of a pick and choose defender I would say like he obviously has the physical tools to be a really good defender but it's you know how much is that applicable when he's expelling as much as he does on the offensive end I mean I think KD is a really good defender when he wants to be is basically what I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, but I mean, how, how do you think the Mavericks were benefactors from the fact that this Nets roster was on a second night of a back-to-back, a little limited, and just their lack of wing depth in terms of, you know, the Mavericks shooters getting so many open looks and, you know, being able to hit them from missed rotations on the Nets parts? No, I mean, without a doubt, you know, you you added that point a minute ago where really the only defenders on this Nets roster, uh, Ben Simmons and Royce O'Neal. It seemed like Ben Simmons was really matched up against Luca the whole entire time. And anytime the Mavericks would set a screen to get a switch, it seemed like it was Kyrie Irving on Luka Doncic in that switch scenario. And that's just, that's Chicago and they, and for Luka. Or Patty Mills. And they or Patty Mills, yeah. no care in the world. As, no, and, like they, but, they kept letting that switch happen. And Luka kept bully balling, you know, them repeatedly in the first half, just getting to the basket at will. And I mean, obviously it's not shocking. Luka... Yeah, he had 41. If he, gets one, if he gets one of those guys switched on him, he's going to go to work. And exactly. I honestly thought Kyrie, like, put up as good of a fight as he could. Like, he was – he had a couple, like, strips and stuff to where, you know, he was getting the ball out of Lucas' hands. Like, Kyrie came – he had three steals and four blocks in this game. Yeah. Which, I mean, I know statistically a lot of those blocks were swipe downs because I remember he had a couple of those swipe downs on Luka in the first half. But, I mean – in terms of games that I've watched Kyrie Irving, definitely one of the more active hands I've ever seen from him in a game. Like, um, you know, I'm not saying that he was some godsend or defensive game transcender or like really move the needle for the Nets defensively in this game by any means. Um, but statistically, like it was, he was getting in passing lanes a little bit and he was actually like, he was putting up as good of a fight as he could on Luca in terms of his on-ball defense. But at the end of the day, you're not slowing down six, six, seven, two forty. Uh, or 245, 250, as Richard Jefferson would say on the broadcast, 230. <laughs> what, I, that was a weird segment having to listen to the Nets broadcast because I don't have Valley Sports Southwest right now. I have to watch the illegal streams. It is what it is. We're, we're trying to get it situated over here. It's a rough situation. Incriminating yourself. Uh, oh, uh, very true. I, <laughs> I, I, I honestly think, Darren, that we don't have enough listeners for me to truly incriminate myself if anybody is. <laughs> enough of a low low life degenerate to actually report me then you know I, I live and die by that just as the mavericks live and die by the three in this game hey, there we go there we go yeah, exactly yeah. that's that's the tie-in no but, that was that was a trend i don't think that got started really until that second half because in the first half this team was looking pretty rough outside of luka Doncic, and it was the shooting part and that's why the mavericks were looking pretty rough uh once they got it going in that second half as you said live and die by three and i know you tweeted it uh, this team looked, unstop- looked unstoppable, and truly they were until it kind of fizzled out. So. No, yeah, I mean, honestly, the Mavericks started running just a ton of pick and pops yes. with their wings and their guards. There were tons of instances where Reggie Bullock and Maxi in that fourth quarter period, you know, just come set a screen for Luca, fizzle out to the top of the key. I mean, there were two possessions in a row where Luca had behind the back passes and they just drained threes at the top of the key. I thought that, you know, this was just really indicative of the Mavericks play style. I mean, we'll, we'll get into, you know, how everybody played on the team here, but I thought Maxi had a phenomenal game, you know, both defensively and offensively. Like this is the Maxi Kleber that we've been pining for. Exactly. Essentially. You know, a guy that comes in. Maxi, I didn't think that the Mavericks overused him 
in terms of having to guard the perimeter. Like there were times that, yes, he had to guard a Kyrie Irving at the top of the key, but that didn't seem like that was by design. That kind of just seemed like that was maybe a transition from, you know, Mavericks being late to get back on defense. So their um, match it, their matchups and all that were kind of jumbled up. But I mean, Maxi, you know, particularly guarded like Duran at times, but mostly he was on Claxon for a good part of the time. And he was just providing like really good weak side help defense, the, like exactly what you want from Maxi. And he was providing really good help defense. And when his guy did have the ball, whether it be Claxon or even if he had to guard, you know, the dynamic tandem of Durant or Kyrie, he was working his ass off and he was trying as hard as he could. And no, I mean, yeah. on the other side of the ball, I mean, it looked like, you know, Maxi in the Utah series. Exactly. Three for four from three. Uh, he had four for six on free throws. I mean, there were, you know, I always tend to think that Maxi's really going when he starts getting opportunities in the pick and roll. Cause that means that he's been playing long enough to actually get opportunities in the pick and roll. Cause obviously Jason Kidd, he kind of rode, he, he rode the hot hands in this game and Maxi, I mean, that was indicative with Maxi's minute totals. You know, obviously they played overtime, but Maxi played 33 minutes in this game and he played a lot for, he basically took Christian Woods minutes in the fourth quarter and overtime. And I mean, obviously that's by virtue of Jason Kidd's, um, choice and we can get into whether that was the wrong or right decision or not you know obviously there could be varying opinions about that but what there cannot be varying opinions about is we can't negate that maxi played a hell of a defensive game and when he was given the opportunity whether it be at the corner and the wing at the top of the key he was spotting himself up in the correct positions and he shot the three ball with confidence oh, it, yeah. it, it, i mean and this is really the first game of the season that we've seen from him like that you know i he hasn't had a game where he's really popped off like this. And it's, it's always nice to get one of these nice Maxi games every once, every five games. Exactly. You know, Maxi played a, a, a great game from offense to defense. Uh, we saw him, like you said, whenever he was switched onto the Kyrie Irvings, he, he defended the best he could Kyrie, you know, you can argue he's like one of the best guys at getting in the paint at will. Uh, oh, yeah. I feel like, I feel like we saw at times where it, he would kind of, hook guys and I think that's the Kyrie special they're not going to call that um but yeah I mean you, you Maxi Maxi played great um defensively and offensively um one one trend that I think kind of stuck out to me was like you had mentioned like just kind of the the three-point shooting I know we kind of mentioned it earlier but um yeah it kind of seemed like you know whenever whenever the Mavericks got the pick and pop going or whenever plays were going uh and and you know, defense turned into offense, really. Like, once the Mavericks got some stops, they were able to get down the court and run some plays, and that's whenever we saw the Mavericks start making threes. Um, I don't quite know if this is going to be a trend for the season. Uh, I hope it just comes at will. It doesn't need a defensive stop to really spark some guys to get more confident. Um, but there was really no other guy that I saw defense turned into offense other than Maxi Kluber and Josh Green. Um, Josh Green... I, I mean, you can argue he was the best guy out there at times. Um, but, I mean, he played amazing. I, You know, and this was a game where there's by no means was it a perfect uh, perfect defensive game by anybody. Um, but the Mavericks got stuff done enough to turn, into, uh, turn it into offense. No, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. They had enough 
I guess the Mavericks had enough like spark, sparkish defensive yeah. plays, yeah. ones that invigorated, you know, that offense. Obviously, you know, the Nets scored 125 points. Of course, the game went to overtime. So, yeah, exactly. You know, if you're looking at that's a little skewed, they, you know, within four quarters, they really scored 112, which I guess is roughly average. But obviously, the Nets are stocked with offensive firepower. I wasn't really concerned about KD or Kyrie going off for 39 and 37, respectively. Like, we, we kind of knew that was going to happen. That's going to happen. And there were yeah. lots of possessions where I thought the Mavericks played as good as they could on defense, and those guys still. There weren't like a lot of blatant, just wide open looks from Nets role players, barring that first half where, you know, there were times where Christian would like when the Mavericks were playing drop coverage in that first half. And, you know, obviously JaVale drops, um, drops under the screen. Kyrie just pulls up for three. Or there were a couple times where I thought Christian would in that first half. I thought he definitely like re- he rekindled himself come the uh, tail end of the second quarter and the second half but there were times at the in the beginning of that first half when he first got in where he just like blatant miss rotations on Utah Watanabe for threes like those are the sort of yeah. defensive mishaps I'm going to be concerned about we know the Nets are going to score a lot of points that's that's obviously a given um but I guess you know particularly like when Dinwiddie or Tim Hardaway Jr. were on Kyrie or even Kevin Durant at times like they were ended up getting switched on to them. You know, it's like the Mavericks just don't have the personnel to be able to limit the nets in scenarios like that. Like those guys are going to score if they get matched up with those guys. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. You know, the Mavericks can do all they can. Like, you know, I thought Reggie and Dorian both played stellar defensive games. Now offensively, that's another story, but <laughs> they definitely bounced back from their Pelican games in terms of their defense. I mean, I thought Reggie was, he was moving his feet really well on defense he had that one possession at the end of the first quarter i i think he was on was it david duke or Kyrie? Um, he stripped the ball twice and ended up forcing a half court heave from Kyrie. i think it was Kyrie ended up forcing a half court heave from him no it was Kyrie. it was Kyrie. yeah at the end of the shot clock and right i thought reggie moved his feet well all night i thought dorian was getting his hand up but he was tightly knit to KD in terms of sticking him really hard. He was able to get his hand up on almost every single KD shot. He seemed like he was in his grill, but to an extent, you know, what are you going to do about Kevin Durant? Like when Kevin Durant get comes off a pin down and he gets, he gets half an inch of space. He's going to make the bucket. I mean, the guy's six eleven. He has an insane wingspan and his, I, I what you really notice when you see Kevin play um, just his ability to like, gather himself when he shoots like he can be in the most off kilter position yes <laughs> and still find a way to you know like upwardly transition his shot into looking really smooth and that's I mean it was it was really kind of because I don't get to watch many Nets games so it was really just kind of like I was kind of just marveling at watching him play so that was really cool but no like I mean I really I really thought that both of the bang bros as we have denoted them played a really good game um defensively but obviously you know, when it comes down to hitting their open looks, um, that's another story. Reggie yeah. continued to regress. Well, not regress, but he continued to have another rough shooting night. Two for yeah, six. Yeah, he, he shot two of six from three. Dorian went one for six. Yeah. Um, there was one distinct time where Dorian attacked off a closeout and got a layup. Surprise, surprise. Something we've <laughs> been pining for, him, pining for him to do. 
But at the end of the day, that's not Dorian's game. And I do like, I earnestly do believe that teams have been keying in on him a little bit more this year. They've, you know, they've seen his contract extension. He's generated more buzz. I think guys are, they have his number a little bit more. I mean, at the start of the season, at least, but um, you know, they continue to struggle from three, but I was just happy to see the defense come back because, you know, if they can, there will be nights where they shoot better than others. You know, this could just be a rough beginning of the season stretch. So as long as the defense is there, you know, and they start to trend upwards in, from, in terms of their three-point shooting, you know, within the next five to ten games, I'm not really too concerned. But if it goes beyond that, that's when I might raise some eyebrows. But in terms of that, you know, I thought they played really well. Um, you know, I thought Reggie got a lot of flack on the timeline tonight um on twitter just in terms of his inability to make shots which i I get he did have a like luca in this game generated so many wide open looks luca i mean i thought in the second half the nets finally like realized that they needed to defer from letting their small guards switch onto luca and they really started to force him to pass like that just as the strategy that the pelicans use um to an extent like or no no the pelicans more so like took away lucas passing lanes yeah basically saying you got to score on us to win this game and that's what the nets were doing in the first half so yeah i that's my mistake but um from the perspective that you know it was more so like luca you know had these passing lanes built available i guess in terms of like who's the way anybody's guarded Luca like that this season. It's kind of like how the Suns guarded him in that first game to an extent uh, where I thought that there was a lot of trapping and hedging in that second half from the Nets. Um, and honestly, not even really like at, you know, the top of the key, it was more so at the point of attack. It would be like once Luca got into the lane, they would trap with a big and then the Mavericks, you know, that opens up the saloon door essentially. And Luca kicks it out to one guy the Mavericks would start rotating the ball and boom, open shooter. There were a ton of three-point looks generated in that second half from the Mavericks just by virtue of really good ball movement by Luca passing, like passing it to one guy, then passing it around the horn. Um, they really got the, the net sidetracked from that standpoint. And I, you know, thought Luca obviously, you know, always does a really good job being able to find those guys out of the double teams, you know, taking that moment to just, you know, sort of analyze where everybody is on the court. You know, that's an ability obviously nobody else has. And he was able to do that really well in the second half. And I honestly thought that that's what led to most of the Mavericks three-point looks. Cause I don't think the Maver- like the Mavericks haven't popped off from three like this in the first three games of the year. Cause I feel like, you know, even in that Suns game in the second half, I do think that they played a very similar strategy to the Nets in terms of, you know, double or was it the first half of the Suns game where I felt they were doubling more and letting Luca find shooters? I, uh, I feel like it was either the first or the second half, but one of the halves, and then the Suns completely flipped their script in terms of the way they were guarding him. But um, like in this particular game, the Nets did that like almost all of the second half um, in terms of switching up their defensive strategy on Luca. And you know, I don't think we've really seen a team do that this year in terms of that elongated of a stretch it's always trying to take lucas passing lanes away and letting him go to work i mean that bodes well better for his number but his numbers obviously but there's an argument to be made that yeah sure like 
that will help his MVP campaign, but is that going to help the Mavericks win? Right. Yeah, and no, I, with him being able to um, like just the effect I thought that he had at the point of attack in this game, you know, just getting to like that elbow area and, you know, once the trap came dishing it and I mean, it just generated so many open looks in that this game and the Mavericks shot 43s made 20 of them in this game. And I don't think that they'll shoot that good in every game, but I, I think that that by virtue of that, that's what led to so many open looks. No, I mean, without a doubt, you know, it, it kind of seems like outside of the sudden switch, you know, in the first half, I think the or the um, the Nets kind of forced Luca to score, or uh, yeah, it was forced Luca to score, uh, and Luca did what he did. He scored, uh, and that was because of the lack of personality, the lack of defense by the Nets. Uh, and then in the second half, they flipped the script, like you said, and they tried to force Luca to pass the ball. And by then, you know, I I, I think Luca kind of creates a distract him by himself. Like you have to triple, you have to double team him, no matter where he is at the court. Uh, and that created an open shooter. And we saw, like you had mentioned, where it was just pass, pass, pass. And then there was an open shooter. And that would be the Maxi Cleavers. That'd be the Tim Hardaway Juniors, um, where they start making their shots. And that's that's whenever we saw the Mavericks start really get it going, but 4-3. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's just, I, I really, like, and I, I think this is pretty obvious, but it was more obvious this game where it kind of seemed like any possession the Mavericks had scored, it was created by Luka Doncic, either at the beginning of the possession or assisted or even scored by. Um, but without a doubt, I mean, Luka Doncic, I, I, he won us this game, of course, you know, he had 41 points and a triple double to add to that, but it, it seemed like even the parts where he didn't really have a stat collected, whether it was like assist or uh, points, he was, he had his, um, he had his palms on the ball at one point to start that little streak of, like I said, like where they were passing four times to get to the open shot. No. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, the role players benefited from what Luca, like Luca's presence in this game, essentially. Exactly. And yeah, like, yeah. he he was a sort of, he was the genesis of basically everything good offensively that happened in this game, for the Mavericks, in my opinion. And yeah, you you put that in better words. So yeah, <laughs> no, and um, and I, I obviously he generated all those looks for the Mavericks from three, to an extent. Um, but that's not to negate that these guys stepped up and hit shots tonight. Um, and the Mavericks shot 50% from three, like, like I said at the top, that's not something that we're going to see every night. And there is cause for concern from the standpoint that the Mavericks lived and died by the three, but in this game, you know, in, in, in possessions where Luca wasn't direct, you know, just when the Mavericks weren't running pick and roll or Spain pick and roll or whatever. And Luca or Luca wasn't, didn't get a mismatch and he wasn't trying to isolate essentially any time where Luca wasn't trying to score and get to the rim or settling for a step back three um, within this game, you know, we had to have role players step up and obviously there are going to be times where that doesn't happen. I mean, the Mavericks shot fairly average throughout the game until really that second half, kind of like midway through the third quarter is really where they start picking up the slack in the fourth quarter and overtime, you know, they obviously just start going off from three, but you know, you will get like Tim Hardaway jr. Like, he really started to come along from three in that second half. And whereas like, you know, he was fairly average in the first half. And I mean, you don't have these guys step up. Obviously the Mavericks don't win this game. So you know, th th that's an essential part of all of this, but we have to, you know, be able to realize you look at the past three games and the Mavericks have not shot near this well. Exactly. So, 
you know, this is obviously just, I guess the point I'm trying to make is this is not a way that the Mavericks are going to win every single night. And just their play style in general tonight has me a little bit concerned, but that's not to take away from the excitement and, you know, how good these guys shot the ball tonight. Like I, I love to see it. It was, it was really great to see. I mean, so, um, I mean, do you have any thoughts and just in terms of how the game played out or how Luca benefited everybody? No, I mean, I think, cause I, I, I really feel like this was kind of the first game where we saw the Mavericks as a whole shoot the ball really well from three. Um, you know, if this does continue, it, it honestly bodes us well because this team clearly hasn't figured out um, offense or defense for that matter. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done on those ends. And for the Mavericks to kind of get, I don't want to say get a break, um, but for the Mavericks, you know, uh, start the season off shooting well, it, it would be a big win for us in terms of like win categories and all this and, and games like this where we have no business in being in. But because we're shooting the ball so well, we end up winning the game by four points. Um, I, I just hope we don't go back to this game. And, you know, Oklahoma City, we've seen it. You know, they they just won against the late, uh, the Clippers where they're probably shooting the ball really well. Uh, and I hope we don't go, you know, games on forward where we look at this game and we're like, okay, well, we shot the ball like this, so let's win games like this. Um, I hope we learn from this and hope we learn, like, let's not rely on this because it's kind of what we relied on in the playoffs. And ultimately that's why we got knocked out in five versus the Clippers or versus God versus the Warriors. Um, but yeah, I mean like this team is still figuring stuff out. I mean, two and two where we should easily be, you can argue four. No. Um, yeah. I mean, like we'll take it. Um, as the game kind of trended on, it kind of seemed like the Mavericks got up to a nine point lead, got up to a seven point lead. And it kind of seemed like the game was almost in their hands and you don't want to say it's in their hands because it's the NBA. I think anybody can score 10 points in under 10 seconds that they needed to. Um, but it kind of seemed like the Mavericks were really in control at points of this game, especially in overtime. And we kind of saw it really we saw them keep leaving the door open. Exactly. Like, we, yeah. yeah, we saw Yeah. I guess like, what do you have to say to that? You think that's just like, early season woes where, you know, just you got to like figure out the team, how to close out games. Cause I really do think it's that, um, I guess like, do you have any main takeaways from that? Well, yeah, I definitely want to diffuse in this. Obviously Mavericks Twitter is, you know, kind of rampant over the Mavericks, you know, fourth quarter and their clutch woes. The Mavericks have not been good in the clutch to start the season. Um, you know, we even look at the end of this game um, Mavericks up to, you know, there was some argument to be made, I guess. Um, so Mavericks have the ball, essentially, um, dribbling at the clock at the end of the fourth quarter. But um, they're only up two. So the Nets still had the shot clock on their side. I think they would still have like 10 or so seconds left, I want to say, if the Mavericks took the shot clock all the way down and missed a shot. But, um, you know, Luca had been cooking Ben Simmons all game. The Mavericks had moved the ball around a little. Um, Reggie Bullock had a wide open three at one point, but he was it was really early in the shot clock. The ball finds its way back to Luca towards the end of the shot clock. He gets trapped. Ben Simmons generates a steal. He, you know, runs hard in transition. He's able to divert a pass back to KD, who gets a one-hand jam. Game's tied. Uh, the Mavericks' final possession of the game. 
It looked uh, better than any other final possession. I will admit that. It did look better than the Suns' final possession and the Pelicans' final possession. Yes. They actually had a play generated. They did. They did. Uh, it was essentially just basically like, um, you know, Luca comes off screen, gets the ball, you know, gets downhill, um, makes Reggie Bullock's man come over and just dishes it to Reggie Bullock. Gets a pretty good look in the corner. He's kind of fading to the side, just hits back iron, and we go to overtime. Yeah. Um, I mean, you live with that. It's it's Reggie Bullock. I thought they generated a good look. Um, you know, there's something – I think there is something to be said in terms of the Mavericks' clutch time woes because this has been something that was imperative last year. The Mavericks had clutch time woes last year. There were lots of games and times where the Mavericks – really just left the door open to where when they should have just put their foot in the gas. And I don't really think that the issue lies specifically in these, Oh, the last possession or the, you know, the last shot, because it really shouldn't get to that point. It they really, it, it lies in the the minutes directly leading up to that. Uh, the Mavericks inability to put their foot on the gas. It like, it's more narrative based than anything. There's nothing like basketball wise. I guess it, it's more so just the Mavericks need to be able to put their foot on the gas and not look back. And it seems like they get lackadaisical at times, especially in, you know, at the end of the fourth quarter. Um, that definitely seems to be a trend towards the beginning of the season. But, you know, they were able to pull this one out of their ass and it ended up being okay. But, two, you two know, two and two feels a lot better than one and three. So, yeah. I mean, I think specifically in this one, though. There obviously are questions regarding Jason Kidd and his decisions. Yeah. And that, um, in those waning moments leading up to everything. And we'll be getting um, into that along with Christian Wood, Spencer Dinwiddie not getting as much minutes. We'll be getting um, all into that here in our next segment. All right, Jaron. So, probably the most provocative topic to come out of this game, I guess, would probably be Jason's kid, Jason Kidd's decision to, I guess, let the hot hand ride, if you want to put it that way. Even though both of these guys, I would say, maybe weren't hot, but they ended up finishing hot in the fourth quarter and overtime. It ended up being a good decision. There's no – just in the sense of how good they ended up shooting, but obviously it was met with a lot of skepticism at the time. Christian Wood did not close the fourth quarter. He came in around the – he came back in around the five minute mark and they changed up his rotation a little bit to where I thought that he was actually going to end up playing yeah, I thought, yeah, the rest yeah. of the game. But soon thereafter, around the uh, two minute mark or so, Maxi came in, played the rest of the fourth quarter and overtime. And Spencer Dinwiddie, I don't think, played the last six minutes of the fourth, roughly around there and overtime. And Tim Hardaway Jr. replaced him in this game. So, what were your thoughts on Jason Kidd rolling with those guys over arguably, I guess, what? most fans would consider to be better in terms of, you know, if you're looking at the Mavericks penultimate ideal closing lineup, I think most people would say Luca, Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian, Reggie, and Christian Wood. If we're, if we're just going based off a of consensus, and I'm not saying that this was a bad decision by any means, by any means by kid, because it ended up being beneficiary towards the Mavericks in this game. But what were your thoughts on Jason Kidd uh, essentially going with that decision? Did that shock you? No, okay, so particularly or particularly in the Christian Wood and Maxi Kluber situation, 
honestly, I understand putting Maxi over Christian Wood in this scenario because Christian Wood hadn't had the best game. He didn't really have a bad game by any means. Yeah, he didn't, didn't have, have a bad the best game. game. He, shot, he shot fairly well, but I mean, yeah, he, he shot wasn't... he shot the ball fairly well. Um, but he was in foul trouble. I believe he had five fouls up to that point. Um, and, and Claxton might... did did seem to be giving him like Christian Wood. He he did shoot well. But I did notice that he was having trouble establishing himself inside exactly. this one for whatever reason. I thought Claxton, when he was switched on him, did a good job in terms of limiting his face up and post up and seal off opportunities. Exactly. And, you know, speaking to Christian Wood, you know, a guy with five fouls playing with five minutes left. Um, let's say there's a minute 30 left in the game. You, you sat Maxi Kleber from the six minute mark. Christian Wood fouls out, you know, fouls Nick's, Nick Claxton down low, whatever. Uh, you throw Maxi Kluber in there. Now, you know, it kind of goes against the game trend because you had what you expected to be the closer, and then Maxi Kluber is all of a sudden thrown in there. And I know that's kind of what Maxi is for at the end of the day, but I, it, it makes more sense to me that Maxi was thrown in there to start, I guess, that final six minutes, uh, considering that Christian Wood hadn't had the best defensive game and we knew that Nick Claxton was going to finish the game. Uh, and he had foul troubles to start with that. Uh, and Maxi, he played amazing. Um, you know, so bearing, you know, the like the trend of going with the hot hand, Maxi made sense in that scenario. And I think that this was the first game where with that situation, where it was regarding Christian Wood, Jason Kidd actually got it right. Um, yeah. Now, Spencer Dinwiddie, I, you know, I thought it was a little weird. Spencer by no means had the best game. Uh, particularly but, passing, I mean, passing was very rough for Spencer. No, okay, yeah, pa- yeah, okay. I, but know, he didn't. I, I mean, like, I don't think he was a gaping black hole defensively. You know, no, he's no, kind no. of he's either slightly above average defensively or just like completely redundant. But in this game, I mean, I felt like he he was okay. Um, and I, I Spencer shot well. Like he did. He shot the ball really well. He went three but, or five from three. I mean, I, I guess his. Spencer did have a lot of costly turnovers, particularly in that third quarter. And I mean, I guess it seems as if that that kind of just drove kid to a point where he would rather have Tim in. He's like, you know, I guess if you're not giving me really anything from a playmaking perspective, we'll go with a guy who I know is a better shooter. So, I mean, I, I'm not as critical of that decision. I, I think I digress a little bit on the Maxi Christian Wood scenario. Versus okay, where so you're we're, we're opposite right now. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I honestly am opposite with you on that um, because from the Maxi Christian Wood scenario, I think that's a situation where, you know, regardless of how, I mean, Maxi had ran a couple threes up until that point. Sure. But, you know, Christian Wood is, I think we could probably agree that he's the second best player on this team. Right. Without a doubt. Yeah. And I think, you know, I know Christian Wood has been a really good sport about all this thus far since he's been in Dallas and hasn't had any sort of um, issues with coming off the bench. And he's he's been really good with that stuff. But I, I just don't like the message that that sends to that guy, especially especially when this is a guy that you're likely going to be looking at extending towards, you know, once we progress here in the season. I mean, this is a guy that's played really well. We haven't even got to see the full potential of him and Luca together, as there haven't really been a lot of Christian Wood Luca minutes to start the year yet. And I, I just don't like the message that that sends. I mean, I feel like that's a guy that regardless of how he's playing, like he's the second best player on the team. He should be in the game in the fourth quarter and overtime. And obviously it didn't end up costing the Mavericks in this game, but had Maxi had an off shooting night, I think that could have easily cost the Mavericks. So I do agree with the process there. 
But I don't – obviously, I don't disagree with the results. The Mavericks won in overtime. Maxi shot the ball well. But from that perspective, um, of only playing 24 minutes, and this is a guy that I think was is deserving of, you know, and I, I get the whole he was in foul trouble thing, but I feel like you still let him ride it out once you get to those waning moments of the fourth quarter. That's just my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I actually think it's kind of funny because I'm looking at it as a game trend to where what could possibly be or what could possibly happen, like the negatives, and you're looking at it as a negative future impact, uh, which I completely understand. And from that point, I, I can understand where you're coming from. Um, and honestly, like, I, I get that. Um, it's just, you know, a matter of game trend and what was happening. And, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, he did have his faults, uh, especially passing the ball. But at the end of the day, like, we knew Luca was going to have the ball in his hands, or at least I hope we knew, because in that Pelicans game, I feel like we learned from our mistakes. Um, but throwing Tim in there was kind of, I guess, I don't want to say what the team needed, but having Luka Doncic just being this primary def- primary ball handler kind of opened up a lot of shooting. And that's what we saw. We saw the Mavericks shoot the ball really well in that final five minutes and the overtime, especially. Um, and I, I really think it opened up now, you know, not seeing Spencer in overtime at all, or even for that final six minutes, I think is kind of alarming. Uh, I get, he had a few costly turnovers, you know, handling the ball, but at the end of the day, like, there's an argument to be made. I know we just said, without a doubt, probably Christian Wood is our second best player, but there's an argument to be made that Spencer Dinwiddie is our second best player. And for him to not play any single minute or any single second, I guess I should say, uh, in quote unquote clutch time, uh, I think that has to send a message to maybe him. And I get, you know, he didn't have the most amazing game, but he didn't have a terrible game. Um, oh, and I mean, before the game, Jason Kidd came out and say that, yeah, like Spencer's a guy that we may look at coming off the bench. So, yeah, exactly. I, mean, I, ho- I yeah. hope that that invigorates some fire to him from that standpoint. But I mean, Spencer has not played bad to start the season. I exactly. think he's been really been doing really good in terms of getting to the rim. He shot the ball really well, which is I mean, I, I honestly projected that his shooting would probably regress down to the mean, but it hasn't so far. Um, Spencer did have five assists tonight. I thought most of that was just by virtue of being a good ball mover. I've always, you know, reckoned that Spencer is a really good ball mover but i i think where his faults really lie are from the standpoint that when it comes down to making like 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 critical playmaking um you know that the tough things that you only see guys who are you know really good playmakers be able to make these sort of plays um in terms of just his pacing and his ability to set up lob passes he's not able to do that and you know i don't think that his mistakes are typically as magnified as they were in this game. But when he's not able to be able to do that, you know, elite level of playmaking, which, you know, that's just something that's not really in his, um, in his arsenal. Yeah. Uh, but when he's also just basically throwing the ball out of bounds on simple um, passes to the corner and, you know, repeatedly missing entry passes, which, I mean, he does that a lot, but I mean, like blatantly, like really bad ones, particularly in this game. Um, that's that's where I can kind of see the coaching staff's ideology. And I mean, to let Tim ride over Spencer in one game, I don't really think it's as big of a deal. Versus Especially Christian, when we pulled it up. Yeah. Versus Christian Wood, you know, regardless of, you know, Christian Wood, you know, maybe not having established himself inside as much in this game, having a couple defensive woes in terms of his inability to rotate in that first half. I think he's still proven that 
I mean, even albeit really early, he's the second best player on that team and should be in the game at that juncture. But that's just my opinion. I, I do enjoy what Tim did tonight. Tonight was the first game that, you know, I mean, all he technically you called it. Right. You called it. Yeah, it was. It would be a Tim Hardaway Jr. game. I, I called it before the game. He shot four for eight from three, had eighteen points. I mean, six for thirteen from the field, of course. So you know, not glowingly insane or anything like that. But he came in and played solid minutes. I mean, he had, I think, maybe two or three of those threes in um, overtime and in the fourth quarter. And you know, they he was a beneficiary of you know Luca tonight and Luca and how insane Luca played and how he was generating offense and how the Nets were guarding Luca. I mean, that obviously really benefited Tim and Maxi. and, you know, their shooting uh, definitely was a big part of the Mavericks winning this game. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, yeah. I, th- I think, you know, we kind of touched this a little earlier, um, you know, with not closing the door on teams necessarily. I, I think one part is, you know, it, it was definitely highlighted tonight with the lack of ball handling, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, I don't, I think you can make an argument. He's not a natural ball handler. And I think, you know, we saw that tonight uh, where Luka Doncic was really the only team's ball handler. And we saw, I mean, I don't even know with these turnovers, they were just honestly non-forced careless turnovers as early in the fourth is what I'm pointing at. Um, you know, that's really what opened the door and led the, the Brooklyn Nets back into it. And that's what made it a closer game. Um, I guess I just want to kind of get your take on it. Like, do you think that's just, you know, early season, uh, you know, guys like JaVale McGee aren't going um, out of bounds to take the ball or to inbound the ball or whatever it was. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, do you think that those turnovers are just early season or is that something we're going to see? Oh yeah. Like just sort of those, some, those like blatant miscues. I mean, yeah, I, I think I could attribute that to early season, you know, new, trying to incorporate new guys, things of that nature um just like general laziness and sloppiness um from that perspective but yeah I mean I would that's probably where I would attribute that to but I, I think that those are correctables obviously that was you know really invigorating and I think it pissed me and a lot of mass fans up off in the third quarter um but I, I definitely think that those are fixable things as much as yeah, that yeah. like was invigorating we haven't seen things quite as egregious as that and I think that the Mavericks like shortly followed that up with like a defensive three second there was like a really bad stretch in that third third quarter um but I I think it's fixable Uh, but it was obviously like yeah that that's just like laziness and the Mavericks playing down you know in terms of like getting too comfortable and that's just a mindset thing I think the team still needs to find their identity to an extent like this Mavericks team um you know obviously before we wrap up the podcast um do you have any other thoughts in terms of how the nets played in this game you know barring Kyrie and katie's insaneness like i I don't really have much issues with how the mavericks guarded them just like Kyrie seemed to be able to get to the paint at will just as i mean yes some hooking and stuff but just his diverse array of dribble moves and you know kd just coming off pin downs or just isolation just pulling up in guys faces like that seemed to just be the bulk of everything the nets did for the most part like um, I mean, I, I don't know. Do you have anything else regarding that? No, I mean, I really don't. You know, Kyrie had an amazing game, 39 points. Um, Kevin Durant, again, a, an, another amazing game with 37. Uh, really, I mean, this offense, whenever Seth Curry, whenever uh, Joe Harris isn't available to kick out, like this this offense really has to rely on Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, and they did tonight. And ultimately, the Mavericks pulled it out. Um, and, you know, to me, I think that shows that, 
you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't take star power to win in this league. Um, it it kind of takes a team mindset, and that's kind of what the Mavericks ultimately won over uh, due to this game. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I guess so. Lastly, I wanted to save this guy for the end of the podcast because yes, I had a lot of – I've been waiting for this essentially to happen, and he still hasn't took that assertive leap in terms of, you know, maybe finding some ways and – doing some different things in terms of getting to the basket and, you know, actually showcasing his athleticism and his newfound, uh, at least decent dribbling from what I've seen so far. Um, but Josh green three for three from three, 10 points in this game shot looks really, really smooth. And he defended his ass off. I mean, he played Kyrie. I thought better than anybody else on the Mavericks. Yes. Kyrie hooked him one play and got to the basket. Yeah. I mean, like a really tough finish, but he came back, clamped him on the perimeter the very next play. Um, Josh Green only played 13 minutes in this game, um, you know, throughout the second and third quarter. And, you know, he was also, you know, obviously a beneficiary of these, you know, moving the ball around the horn, finding the guy in the open corner, you know, these Luca um, passes. Even in, like, non-Luca minutes, I think that's where also he made a couple of his threes here. But – I mean, this was a game that we've kind of been waiting for him, that he was able to actually get some open looks and showcase his new shot. And unfortunately, Josh Green seemed like he had a little subtle injury that he ended up coming out with. I yeah. hope that's nothing serious. He ended up grabbing his ankle foot area. Uh, shout out to Bibbs that pointed me that out to me on Twitter um, because uh, my on my streamies that I was watching, of course, it kind of cut out for a second, and I didn't actually see the Josh Green injury. So, um, yeah, shout out to him for that, but – uh, hopefully that's nothing serious because um, this guy, I mean, this is exactly what I've been pining for. And honestly, at times, in turn, if Josh Green never got hurt, I'm curious as if kid would have let him ride over Reggie because he was he had the hot hand in this game. No, without a doubt. You know, I I, I think you brought out a good point where maybe he would have been checked in for Reggie. Um, yeah, if it wasn't due to this injury, you know, I, I think we would have seen more than 13 minutes out of Josh Green. I hope this is one where the Mavericks staff kind of look at and they're like, okay, well, you know, maybe we keep giving Josh greens, these type of looks, he's going to keep knocking him down. I don't correct me if I'm wrong. I think he's only missed like one, three, this whole season. He hasn't uh, took many. He's only, he'd only take three. He'd only took three shots coming into this game. Yeah, exactly. And the but whole I, season. I, and I mean, I like, that's just his thing, man. Like the, the coaching staff can, needs to continue to give him confidence to be, Assertive because I, mean, I, I will admit I have succumbed to being a big believer in this guy, especially with yeah, like, that, and I the can't training camp videos, the offseason progression videos. I, I'm like fully in. And the Mavericks can use a three and D guy who can do more, just like a little bit more than being a three and D player. And this is one guy who has potential to do it. And he's finally starting to take that step after two years. Exactly. And, I mean, he looks every time I see him, I'm just he looks really good. I it's just he needs to be more assertive offensively, just a tad bit more. Just there are times where he has open driving lanes. There was a time in this game where he sort of like, I don't know, he basically was able to deflect a defender essentially. I don't, he had like this, I think he ended up going for a loose ball and then somebody ended up running somewhere, but he was wide open for a mid-range jump shot and just swing it back to the top of the key. He just needs to have his teammates and coaching staff continue to instill confidence in him because I mean, I honestly think the sky's the limit for Josh Green. I'm I'm a big Josh Green stand. Like I I am I might be a little more high on him than the average Mavs fan, but I don't know. I this game 
was a godsend for me because I mean his shot just looks so much better form wise than it did last year. The upward, um, just the transition from the ground up, it just looks like some, so much smoother sequentially. Um, I mean, what do you have any other thoughts in terms of his defense and his his shooting in this game before he came out? No, I mean, you know, one thing that you know should be underlined for this guy is, you know, you mentioned he needs to be more assertive. Uh, he just needs to look to score. Uh, that was really a game trend, you know, for Josh Green. And I, I feel like he really attached that tonight. You know, there was not, not just when he's wide open from three. No, not in not yet. Not just whenever he's wide open for three. You know, there was a one, maybe two times tonight where he kind of passed up an open driving lane. And there was multiple times in that Pelicans game where he did that same thing. Um, but really as a Mavs team tonight, you know, it was kind of look to score. And whenever that point came across, it seemed like everybody started making their shots. Um, you know, Josh Green. Uh, I I mean, I, I think he was probably the best ma- – well, I guess Maxi came off the bench. I was going to say he was the best guy to come off the bench, but, you know, Maxi came off the bench. And Tim Hardaway Jr. came And, and Tim Hardaway. Uh, but Josh looked amazing tonight. Uh, you know, I think that this was his first double-figure game um, since, like, middle season last year. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, I mean, Josh looked amazing, and I hope, you know, that injury isn't anything serious. I hope he gets more minutes because of this. And – Earnestly, I think if he can become a guy, you know, like you said, where he's a three and D guy, but he adds a little extra, there's there's no means that this guy shouldn't be playing 20 minutes a game. Yeah. And I mean, the sky's the limit. As he, as he continues to develop to develop, I mean, this could this is a guy I think that could start at some point for the Mavericks, maybe not this year, but for years All to come. The overreaction tweets are coming now. Oh, uh, I know. And, and I mean at the very least, become, you know, a young player that could be applicable in a trade package going forward. Like that, that's what we want at the end of the day, right? Yeah. To get, to make this Mavericks roster as good as possible. And I mean, I think he's essential to that happening because the Mavericks have no other young assets on this team. You can argue Jaden Hardy, but right now he's not really as much an asset because I mean, he's not even playing yet. So there's no, there's not too much value in him quite yet. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really my thoughts on it. I mean, otherwise uh, we've, we've kind of covered everybody except really JaVale, who JaVale had, like you said, you mentioned at the top of the pod, he had like a kind of weird start. He wasn't really getting targeted as much on defense. I didn't really think he did too much on defense, but he, he was able to assert himself pretty well on offense. And I mean, he looked really good offensively in that first quarter and the beginning of the third when he played, but outside of that, um, there's really not too much else to take from him. He didn't really get cooked on defense, you know, by virtue of the fact that he wasn't getting attacked as much like in that Pelicans game. And I think Claxton's an easier big to defend in those minutes that he did have to defend him Yeah, from the standpoint that, you know, he's not versatile. He's a rim runner and he's also taller, lengthier guy. He's not like Valanchunas where he'll just body the shit out of you. So, I mean, yeah, that was, that was at least encouraging to say, encouraging to say the least. I hope JaVale can showcase his defensive prowess in games going forward. I, I really hope that New Orleans game was, an off game. Cause if not there, that's going to be very concerning, especially given his age and everything. Um, Faku played a couple minutes in this game. Didn't really do much of anything was very yeah, forgettable. He had, he had a steal. He, he did, which I didn't even really notice in the yeah, game. Cause there were a couple times in my stream when it was getting cut out and stuff, but I, I guess I must've missed the Faku steal, unfortunately. So for all you guys, Argentinian fans out there, um, I apologize for undermining Faku's presence in this game. Cause he did contribute to, one of hey without see. that steal we may not have won so. he contributed to one of eight maverick steals meaning 
Faku was if if you're just if steals encompass all of defense, Faku was twelve point five percent of the Mavericks defense tonight. Wow. And as in two minutes. One one Argentinian fan even pointed out he was like, he's he's small and compact, but he's gonna give him hell. Like he was just all on the fact that Faku was about to clamp <laughs> up Kyrie and Katie. Um he did his best. Yes, he did. He For did all two minutes and 47 seconds. <laughs> um, but uh, barring that, I really don't have anything else for this podcast. I, um, you know, it was a really fun game uh, from, you know, all the shots going in and everything. But, you know, obviously some questions still persist coming out of this game. But at the end of the day, I think Josh Bow on Twitter um, obviously writes for Mavs Moneyball. He said it best. And, you know, at the beginning of the season when the Mavericks are still trying to figure some, uh, stuff out, for them to get a win like this, and overtime, you know, that's all you can ask for. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Then you can make all the excuses in the world in terms of like what the Mavericks did wrong in this game. And, you know, we've pointed out plenty of them, but they did win. And they, you know, even if the Nets are on the second night of back to back, they pulled it out in overtime. Um, it was a fun game. And the Mavericks obviously still have a lot to figure out. Whether they're going to be able to figure that out or if they'll just have to get better personnel at some point remains to be seen over this season. I and mean, there's arguments to be made on both sides of that. Uh, totem pool, but we'll just have to kind of monitor that as we go forward. It's 82 games. We've only played four. Um, but besides that, um, happy to have got a win. Luca played insane tonight. I don't even think we talked about him enough on the podcast, but you know, we talked about his ability to manipulate the game from a playmaking perspective, of course, but just his ability to get in the lane at will, even on, you know, even if Ben Simmons isn't is a shell of his former self, you want to argue that. But I mean, these are all NBA defenders. Yeah. He's just making look like the chum bucket and Lucas, the crusty crab. That's my analogy of the night. <laughs> and with that being, and um, he didn't, and I thought Luca did, I thought one thing I do want to say, Luca did not settle as much in this game, got no, to the he, free he throw line a lot and he was getting banged up. He was still pushing through contact when 11 for 13 on free throws. Um, so many threes he, shot. he, only, he only shot two for six on threes, 12, yeah. two point field goals, but they were, they were smarter shots. Yeah, no. And I mean, I'm telling you, he's he'll score above 40. If, if he's attacking the whole game and his stamina is at a point to where I think he can do that to an extent, especially in these games where he has to get up to, uh, where he has to get up for, you know, maybe against lesser teams, you know, you'll see where Luca holds back a little, which obviously we have our criticisms of that, but it kind of is what it is in these games where Luca has to get up or he's playing, you know, these star power led teams like a KD he's, he's going to attack and he's not holding anything back. He had a couple silly turnovers. Sure. But I mean, what the hell are you going to say? 41 points. 11 rebounds, 14 assists. You see all the crazy stats regarding triple doubles and all he's doing historic shit every night. I mean, this is that was his what 47th assist, or triple double of his career? Uh something like that. I, yeah. I didn't look at like the Mavs PR tweets and all that, but I mean, he's insane. He he is insane. Thank and, thank thank the God for yes. uh Luca. Like so. like we say at the beginning of the podcast in the intro, I'm pigged on Luca smoking on my hookah and I mean, that's all there is to say. I'm about yeah, to go. Smoke on, we're we're gonna go smoke some hookah right now to commemorate that because this was our 50th podcast. Yeah, it is 50th our 50th podcast. Yes, sir. And the Mavericks get a win. You can't ask for anything better. That, that is a a perfect night. It was a yeah, it's a perfect night. It may have been a weird game, but they got the win, and it was our 50th podcast. So we will catch you guys in the next one. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, uh, mainstream underscore Mavs. Subscribe to us on Apple or Spotify podcast or whatever you're listening on. We're available on most listening platforms. Give us a five-star review if you are so inclined, if you enjoy our content. We thank you guys for listening this far, if you got this far in the pod. 
and we will catch you guys in the next one uh, on Saturday night when I believe the Mavericks play the Thunder. Is that correct? At, at 8 p.m. Yes, they at do. 8 p.m. In the AAC, that'll that'll begin. I think a um, 10 of 12 homestand. Yes, or, 10 of 12 yeah. homestand. So there's reason to be optimistic. Jaron's always got us on the next game. We will see you guys on Saturday night. Bye bye. <laughs>